Welcome back to SIVO Sisters, where we demystify and diversify the field of anesthesiology all within the duration of an anesthesia break. We are in our last episode with Dr. Manah Hagos. It was a four-part series. And if you're thinking to yourself, well, who is Dr. Hagos? Go to our episode one with her dated January 15th. She's amazing. She's an anesthesiologist, author, entrepreneur. If you haven't listened to our previous episodes with her, no worries. You don't have to head listen to them to get value from this one. In this episode, we're going to continue our conversation on how to avoid being exploited. She shares with us how perception breeds expectations and how we can navigate that as minoritized physicians and how you're more creative than you think. We're going to hop right in where Dr. Hago's teases out for us the nuances between exploitation and compensation. Please enjoy. And so there is nuance. Of course, there is a give and take. And of course, depending on the culture and the political climate and the particular facility, health system, whatever, there is social capital is important and social capital can be garnered in different ways. And sometimes that it doesn't necessarily show up practically as hard cash compensation. Sometimes uh, that exchange of services or professional favors results in the ability to, like like I mentioned earlier, gain social capital influence, be able to increase our authority or are become a point of reference for other individuals. And we can parlay that into something that is more tangible for us um, in terms of compensation. So I did, I did want to include that, that we understand it's nuance. And when I say exploitation, I'm not saying any and all times in every situation, we're smart individuals. Right. But I did want to say that when I spoke about increasing our network and our sphere of influence, that Sometimes that can show up or that can be developed by helping people, quote unquote, um, doing things that maybe necessarily we're not getting compensated for. But it is important to understand before we do these things, whatever they are, however it can show up, whether it's admin work or otherwise, that first for us, we have a clear understanding of what we're doing. And we also need to be, again, honest with ourselves and understand why we're doing these things. Before we say yes, is it because we feel intimidated or threatened into it? Um, We just feel influenced because that is the social norm. It's baked into how things work around here. (laughs) And uh, and that's okay. We don't have to be hard on ourselves for things that are totally out of our control. But we are trying to protect ourselves and lead good lives. Um, So being aware of why we're doing things is important. And then we once we know what it is that we want we can be a little bit more tactical about why we do extra things or other things that maybe fall outside our normal zone of uh, responsibilities. So if you're going to take on more admin work, for example, because you're your wonderful chief or vice chair, whoever a department head asks you or higher levels of administration within the hospital who are smart people who are doing their jobs as well. We can also strategize about how we can also benefit 
can be a mutual beneficial relationship. And I'd be happy to do this, um, to join this committee and do this work for you. I'm really excited to move on in my level of this within the department or be able to have the influence to get the research money to do this or whatever. Absolutely. I think, I mean, you have to, it has to be intentional. I think Let's be honest, a lot of us out here are doing admin work that has no title, no admin day, and no extra pay. So reevaluating those kinds of things. <laughs> that was highly specific. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've just seen it and heard of it so many times that people feel pressure just to say yes. And I'm going to tell you right now, if, it's, if the opportunity presented to you is not a hell yes, it's a no. If you are saying to yourself, I don't know, it means you know. And the answer is no. And most people feel so uncomfortable with saying no that they just want to say yes and then end up sort of um, really cutting their teeth, stubbing their toe on all these added obligations that they're like, man, how did I end up here? I hate it and I don't have any help. And it eats into the family time. So, oh, yeah. 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 And, def- and also there are also, I mean, what you said is absolutely correct. I. I just kind of want to continue hearing you talk, to be honest, because <laughs> you you bring up a lot of great points, highly specific points that I won't ask about now. But I do think that also some of us, some of us women understand that there is a really complex social interplay that is that is active. Mm-hmm. So as a woman who looks a certain way, so I'm talking about your height, your um your body habitus, your your face, whatever, right? right? So the way we are perceived by other people doesn't necessarily mean it's true, but the way we're perceived by other people, the expectations, the biases that they may or may not have, or that may they may or may not be aware of, many of us understand that that is also in play. And that definitely, I've noticed, does play a role in how we respond to things. So we may know the answer is, I really don't want to. I'd rather go home and play with my dog, go to sleep and or veg out and watch like my favorite show or something, right? Don't judge me for anyone who's <laughs> for these things that I've said. So I think that's also part of the reason why it may be challenging for some women, not all, um, in these particular situations because we may understand or we may think we understand that this guy might have this expectation that I need to be nice, quote unquote, and mm-hmm. say yes and be helpful or us or else I may be negatively affected in a way that I cannot anticipate or may not be able to appropriately react to or what have you. So there is, there's definitely um, complex interplay that's that's going on in these times as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it just can't be overstated that we have options and we always have choices, despite what the culture of medicine might make you feel or look like. Now, um, getting back to your journey, anyone listening would be like, how the heck did you, I mean, fine, you had that gap year, right, to start that first company. How did you do it the second one when you're in residency? And, and all the things and writing books, where did that happen or how did that happen? I mean, what, what was the timing of these? Okay. I will say first to start that for some of us, 
we have worked anywhere from 50 to 100 hours in a week, whether that was during our residency or that's during our attending HUD. We know how to do hard and we know how to do hard and still perform at an extremely high level. So when you or other people ask me that question, I remember that. I remember that I've done hard and I can do hard. I don't want to live on hard mode all the time because I that doesn't really align with me very well. But I know that I'm capable of doing that. So when you ask, well, how did you do these things or how did you get the idea? I mean, I'll tell you how. And it's actually so in residency, I there were days that I had very long days. And sometimes I had long days that were also very hard, either physically, emotionally. I mean, you could have all the illies, right? Spiritually, emotionally, all that stuff. Very hard days. And there were times where I would come back home from work and I would think, I did all of this stuff for other people. I gave all of myself and all of my time and energy for patients, for surgeons, for nurses, for pharmacists, for the hospital, for the system. That's, that's how I thought about things in terms of peers. And I thought, I should be able to put in some energy for myself. Mm-hmm. That, that's really how I thought about it. Um, I would have call and then if I, if I was on call and then I'd come home and it was post-call and I would essentially sleep, you know, the day as I needed to. And I would get up in the evening and either if I was going to do it again because I was on night call or whatever. And I thought it just, it doesn't make sense to me to only give my all to other people and not save some for myself. Because I know that I have a finite amount of energy every day. And I know that if I can really commit myself or go hard for this profession, these patients, this hospital, whatever, I can do that for myself. And that's how I thought about it. So, you know, when I was in, when I was doing my training, I was absolutely committed to learning and being the best that I could be in anesthesia, period. And I was really grateful and fortunate to work with smart people and some people who were not only smart, but they were also kind people. And when those rare individuals cross our paths, it is absolutely a treasure. Uh, especially in medicine. And so I thought to myself, I can do this for myself. And sometimes that showed up in small ways where on either a post-call day or particularly hard day or week, I made the, I set the intention and I made the time and effort to go out and meet a friend for dinner and or drinks. I would make the effort to go out and go to some mixer event and meet other people. And they would ask me, how are you here right now? Aren't you tired? And I thought, and I said, yes, but this is for me. I can do this for other people. Why can't I do this for myself? Mm -hmm. So that is the approach and the mindset that I had. And so when it came to writing the book and starting the company, I applied that same mindset and I applied the knowledge that I knew that I have all of these skills. There's some skills that I don't even know are a skill because I take it for granted. It's just what I need to do to do my job or to live my life. But again, the more we interact with other people different from us, the more we can get that third party observer perspective where we realize, oh, wow, other people really struggle with this and I can do this. 
So, so that tenacity that we have as physicians and as anesthesiologists, where maybe we're working with a particular challenging personality in the OR, okay, or we're working with a particularly challenging set of policies that are hard for us to understand, right? Those same, those are skill sets to be able to tolerate, to be able to maintain professionalism, time manage, personality management, all those stuff are really, really invaluable. It's just a matter of, again, transmuting those skills and being a little creative. So we're creative in the OR as anesthesiologists because we don't all follow the same formula to induce a patient. We don't all follow the same formula to manage pain. Of course, the pain management specialists you're all amazing. We're not, we're not talking about, you. Yeah. <laughs> we're not, we're not knowing who I'm speaking to. Yeah. So when we, when we understand that we are already creative every day that we're clinical and even on our non-clinical days, we're already creative. We don't have to do extra stuff. It's about realizing in here, in our minds, in this supercomputer brain of ours that everyone knows, but we kind of forget because we're, we're working with all these other supercomputer people mm-hmm. that we forget that this is actually a very high level that is not normal. It's actually abnormal. It's outside the range of normal for the vast majority of people. So when we recognize that and we're able to use the right vocabulary, which is creativity, then you're already creative. So how else do you want to be creative? You're already creative on the OR. You're creating a unique cocktail for this particular individual that you will not use the exact same cocktail, most likely, for the next individual because that person has their own medical, surgical history, allergy list, medication list, et cetera. So if you're already creative, you're already there. How else do you want to be creative is what I would ask. Oh, excellent. Excellent. And I think that's a, a great question by which we should we can wrap up. Um, because that we don't get asked that we don't think about that. I, I mean, you get so browbeaten within anesthesiology with the, the churn, the room turnover pressures, the, um, it it doesn't give you often, especially now with the staff shortages, don't feel like you have the real space to be able to take care of yourself and do that work of inflection. So I really appreciate you and thank you so much for charging us with that responsibility because that is how you get a fulfilling life um, by by doing that work and you reminding us that, yes, we can learn other things. (laughs) We have the capability to do that. So I I mean, that's incredible. And we thank you so much, Dr. Manahagos. And I just blown away. We'll definitely have you back because there's just so much we didn't touch on. And I know that you had questions you wanted to ask me. So we want to provide base for uh, that as well. So thank you so much. And we uh, just look forward to having you back on. Thank you so much for having me. This is the last episode of our series with Dr. Manah Hagos. Join us next week when she actually flips the mic around and she is hosting and interviewing me. Stay tuned. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Sivo Sisters. If you love this episode as much as I did, head on over and rate and subscribe so you don't miss out. New episodes drop every week on a Monday. 
because we all can use a little something, something to get us through the week. Am I right? I'd love to hear more from you on the topics that you want to hear. So let me know in the comments. This is Dr. Peterson signing off. See you next time.